Welcome to Shortcut to Sunday. I'm Ben. And I'm Bruce. And this is your podcast for December 5th, 2021, the second Sunday of Advent in year C. Uh, and we are coming to you not live, but on behalf of Holy Family Episcopal Church in Fishers, Indiana. Bruce, how are you? I am fine. It is like the first week of Advent, so it's just party central around here. <laughs> It is. It is party stuff. It's very. It, it's. It is. I mean, if if party is digging out old Christmas decorations. Hey, you know what? Uh, uh, you're 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 displaying more party than I do right now at this point. It's not even December yet, heathen. Uh, and, but <laughs> well, it's all in preparation. I mean, that, right, that's, that's true. That's, that's true. the life of a of a cleric. Is that we live. You know, like three weeks ahead of everyone else because mm-hmm. we have to be ready for when that holiday comes around with more than just deciding what outfit we're going to wear. So, right. Yeah. So, you know, bulletins are being worked on and sermons written and decorations decide what needs to be replaced, what we can reuse, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. So all, uh, in a perpetual state of forward-lookingness and in a equally perpetual state of, I would I would assume like disappointment and in not because it would be so easy to be a perfectionist in your line of work. So I would imagine that they don't last. <laughs> fair, I suppose that's fair. <laughs> That would be, that would be, that would be, uh, I would, I would be constantly, uh, uh, racked with how things are not going to plan and what the plan is for the things that aren't going yet. Uh, so yeah. that would be, that would be, uh, that, that sounds awful. This is why I sit on this side and you sit on that side. Yep. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see when I retire, which is, you know, in the foreseeable future, not immediate, what it'll be like to just get to be right in that moment of liturgical yearness. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what, what it generally speaking from the, uh, priest standpoint, what does that look like? What I like do, do retired priests then become regular parishioners and then just choose a, an active priest to forever harass <laughs> some yes definitely that, um, that that also sounds terrifying to me of like the, the prospect of some sort of retired priest coming and being a parishioner and just always feeling like i'm being judged yeah i've when i when i was younger i had that experience and it, it was difficult it felt like i was always preaching to seminary faculty because of the critiques on the sermons in the <laughs> week or two afterwards. Do, uh, but it, now I can handle it much more easily. Is it usually like at least sugar-coated? Like, oh, your take oh, on now. this was wonderful. <laughs> I do have thoughts. <laughs> no, it, it, it's usually with a... <laughs> um, Brutal honesty. No, it's sugar-coated bl- brutal honesty. So it's almost, it's 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 almost like a teenager, mm. where they 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 look like they're saying something nice, but when you start thinking about your eyes, no, that was really insulting. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess you did okay for an old man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that'd be. Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> I remember the first time, I remember the first time I preached on that text that sounded kind of like that. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> oh, your world fascinates me. Um, <clears throat> it really is a, a, a fascinating culture to be part of. and Yeah, I bet. No one else would laugh at it, but it is hilarious. <laughs> uh, I... I... I, I like to think that I would probably laugh at it. I don't think you could ever put it down and all of it really down in like a auditory record like this. Uh, but it would I I would have fun with that. So yeah, the, one of the things that I tell no no one listens I should say so I just tell <laughs> new clergy 
is that one of their tasks is to collect good funeral stories. Because mm. that's often how clergy, I think, unconsciously bond with each other. Is they start telling their favorite funeral stories, which usually are like people falling in graves and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. No one else will understand, but you get a bunch of clergy together and they start to just crack up. Yeah, uh, um, I, I can imagine. Yeah, that'd be, there's, there's a version of that, I think, in almost every profession, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there um, is. So, um, but yeah, um, so it, it sounds like to me, uh, what we're really promoting here is that at one point in time, we're going to do a Bruce unplugged event. <laughs> <laughs> maybe like a, maybe like a, uh, between two ferns kind of style interview with another priest. First have the attorney screen it and then sure. <laughs> Um, a little worried that you phrased it that way, but okay. All right. <laughs> no, you can't talk about that person. <laughs> They're still alive. That's right. oh, this okay. person's not, but they have a very active estate. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, goodness. So, I, I mean, it's second Sunday in Advent, uh, to, to sure plug is. the church. Uh, we have we had our first Sunday of Advent, and and it, just in case you, you you were traveling for Thanksgiving, didn't get a chance to uh, watch the live broadcast. This is the season where we get to light those beautiful candles up front and uh, yeah. uh, have have uh, um, uh, people uh, come up and recite a prayer, and <clears throat> it's really uh, really a, a beautiful uh, beautiful thing to to behold. We start to. Uh, I forget. Do, uh, do we we have the greening of the church coming up at some that, point? That's on the fourth Sunday of Advent in the afternoon. Is that the fourth Sunday? I couldn't remember if we did it at the very yeah. end or. Yeah, at the very end. Okay, so not this week. No. So if I showed up with greens, I would be turned away. Well, <laughs> I was going to say you'd be very lonely. Ah, <laughs> uh, that would be there. That is familiar Because I mean, we do the greeting of the church at 4 p.m. on December 19th. Gotcha. So if you showed up at 4 p.m. this coming Sunday, you'd probably be very lonely. Yeah, if you brought greens to the 10 o'clock, we'd probably actually make use of them. Because we do have some decorating going on, but mm-hmm. it it wouldn't be the full bore, let's really Christmas this place up activity. Mm. Well, Which is a lot of fun to do on December 19th, 4 p.m., and we get free spaghetti afterwards. That's right. So, yeah, definitely want to promote uh, that. We also uh, currently are in the uh, um, the process of our um, fundra- fundraising campaign. That's totally wrong. What do we call it? <laughs> well, we often call it either the stewardship campaign stewardship. or the Stewardship, there's the word. There's but, the word yeah, I was it's, looking for. It's the fundraising campaign to help us keep doing ministries in the next calendar year. Yeah. Uh, so when when this broadcast first gets released, it'll be Tuesday. And that's, uh, the, generally speaking, the official, uh, unofficial day of giving to uh, oh yeah, that's right. And, Giving Tuesday, yeah. Mm-hmm. Giving Tuesdays is uh, when this is released. So thought I would uh, mention that. Uh, I would imagine, correct me if I'm wrong, that people could find out more about uh, pledging uh, to Holy Family by going to our website at holyfamilyfishers.org. And if they just want to make a one-time donation, they can yeah also go to Holy Family. <clears throat> We're all set up for electronic donations and yeah. been doing it for years so we I, know it's safe and accurate i dare say we'd even entertain a bribe uh to uh stop production of this podcast if someone oh, felt yeah, sure. so needed yeah. <laughs> so inclined that i think that would require an ongoing pledge rather than a one-time uh, gift yeah but it, i mean yeah, yeah but the, yeah it, it, get, it provides an opportunity for this podcast to actually make something for the church. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I don't want to turn down the possibility. <laughs> another the fun thing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. This, this Saturday from nine to 11 is the <laughs> breakfast with St. Nicholas mm-hmm. that uh, features a full breakfast with uh, per, cooked by the brotherhood of St. Andrew We'll have Malo Rayro displays. 
We'll have games for mostly kids, but adults can do them too. And a visit from a pseudo St. Nicholas that the kids enjoy um, experiencing because he gives away the traditional gold coin, which is actually chocolate inside a foil wrapper. But it's a lot of fun. And it's a, everyone's invited. It's a multi-generational event. And whether you like trains or pancakes or seeing a guy in a fake beard, it's it's all going to be there. It'll be great. I, I like all of those things. Yeah. So that's, a, that's awesome. Um, anything else uh, that we want to promote other than uh, uh, what we've mentioned and, of course, our usual um, uh, live uh, uh, services on Sunday at 8 and 10 with our 10 o'clock being broadcast on our YouTube channel, which is HFEC Videos. Again, all that information, including the bulletin, available on the website. So um, feel free to check out that information there. But... Um, yeah. Anything else before we move on to, to our while our you're on the website, history. check out the whole schedule of Christmas services and activities. So much going on. Yeah. Well, uh, I will then uh, move on to our uh, our history lesson for the day. Um, today in church history, uh, and by today I am doing December fifth, so I'm doing it correctly this time. Um, <laughs> In 532, uh, it saw the death of St. Sabas, a hermit who had become the leader of an early monastic movement and traveled widely preaching against heresy. Imagine the, you know, uh, the, 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 uh, the gall to preach against heresy. <laughs> God bless this man. Um, but he founded a mona- uh, monastery in Palestine, uh, Marsava, that is still that would still be standing in the 21st century. So uh, I find that actually uh, quite fascinating. That's Very a long impressive. Time, yeah. yeah. Um, 1525, uh, uh, Anabaptist leader Hans Schlaffer is arrested <laughs> by persecutors in Austria. What? <laughs> I always like laughing at the Anabaptist names. <laughs> Hans Schlaffer. <laughs> Uh, he refused to recant his opposition to infant baptism. Um, sure. The punishment, right? Uh, the punishment of which uh, was being burned alive. So, okay, sorry about that. Yeah, yeah. Uh huh. Uh huh. You were saying, I'm sorry, Bruce. You were saying something. Something we about this man. Burn people alive. Yeah, uh, we shouldn't. Uh, I don't know how often we've had to say this, uh, but. <laughs> Um, uh, but I find that interesting that the, uh, discussion about, uh, an opposition to, uh, infant baptism, uh, that's still, I mean, I, I, I feel like we could say a little bit of something about that since, uh, we do yeah. have, uh, infant baptism in the church today. Yes. And you know, the Anabaptists, as you can probably see from their name, one of their big things was how and when baptism takes place. So they were very much against Roman Catholic practice of infant baptism, A, and B, baptism done by simply pouring water over a person's head. They thought it had to be fully immersed. Full full immersion is the fancy word that go completely underwater with your full body. Right. Uh, um, Otherwise, it doesn't count. Otherwise, it doesn't count. (laughs) And, And there really are... Um, theological tomes written about the what if there was a quarter inch diameter circle on one shoulder that didn't get all the way under. Yep, got to rebaptize them. (laughs) What? (laughs) That'd be room for Satan to get in sort of thing. Um, Wow. Yeah. yeah. Okay, Okay, so just for clarification... Uh, in the Episcopal Church regarding infant baptism. What a, a, what's our stance? It. We love it. We why? Love it, baby. Why? Why, why uh, do we love it? A number of reasons. Okay. One is that Jesus repeatedly said that children should be allowed very close to him and that he, he clearly enjoyed spending time with children. They were not seen as um, pre-human 
as in many cultures at the time of Jesus. And in some ways, Anabaptists were kind of going in that same direction uh, that they had such a uh, really terrible view of human nature that it's no accident that the you know, witch trials and stuff that were you often at the hands of Anabaptists um, were performed on younger people that, you know, they, they really didn't trust anyone who was under 20 sort of thing. Um, so not to dwell on the negative and the Episcopal church will baptize anyone at any age. If they want water poured over their head or the parents do, if it's an infant, that's how we'll do it. If they want the person to be fully immersed, we'll do it that way. And at Holy Family, interestingly, we're one of the few Episcopal churches, I bet, in the state of Indiana that has a baptismal font that could actually have an adult go fully underwater. Yeah, there's there's for sure not many. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. That I've that I've seen. So, um, which is great. Which is cool. Yeah. So. It's, it's perfectly fine to baptize an adult or an infant with full immersion, but it is not required, even though by the Anabaptist view, um, they're very concerned that it's that Jesus seemed to have gone completely underwater when baptized by John the Baptist. So we should do the same. Interesting. Yeah. But, so, I mean, I get the point of view. I get the point of view. Uh I don't, I don't, I don't uh, necessarily personally get the dogmatic side of it. Uh, but right. I get, I get the point of view. Um, yeah, it's uh, easy to understand the footnote, even if you disagree with it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, to move on in uh, history, uh, 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 1784 was the death of uh, Phyllis Wheatley, uh, the first published African American poet who was also a Christian. Uh, so a, a date of hmm. notoriety there. Um, hmm. That's the first hmm I've gotten out of you so far. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, uh, 1804, the uh, missionary Wilhelm Tobias Ringeltaub, which is, I just, <laughs> I'm honestly only doing this because his name is amazing, uh, yeah, lands yeah, yeah. in Tranquilbar, India, serving under the auspices of the London Missionary Society and will labor what? there. And at at Traven, least that's Anglican, so it's their Episcopal yeah, history. Right. Uh, and at Travancore with much success until 1816 uh, when he moves on to uh, St. Leon. Um, and there was one more that I was going to bring up. There's like a, a whole ton of these. Oh, 1837, the first public performance of Hector Berlioz's Requiem takes place in a church in Paris in honor of General Damremont and other soldiers who died during the during a siege in Algeria. Uh, uh, I don't know if anyone else has ever heard Hector Berlioz's Requiem, but it is absolutely gorgeous. Um, oh, cool. So I, rec- I highly recommend it. Um, and uh, that's that's pretty... I, there are more. Those are the highlights. So Okay. Uh, <laughs> we we appreciate you culling through everything to get to the best. <laughs> I don't make that claim but (laughs) (laughs) i did go through it uh so let's move on uh then to our first reading uh uh today our first reading uh comes from the not often um uh, tackled book of baruch baruch chapter 5 verses 1 through 9 Take off the garment of your sorrow and affliction, O Jerusalem, and put on forever the beauty of the glory from God. Put on the robe of the righteousness that comes from God. Put on your head the diadem of the glory of the everlasting, for God will show your splendor everywhere under heaven. For God will give you evermore the name Righteous Peace, Godly godly Glory. Arise, O Jerusalem, stand upon the height Look toward the east and see your children gathered from the west and east at the word of the Holy One, rejoicing that God has remembered them. For they went out from you on foot, led away by their enemies, but God will bring them back to you, carried in glory as on a royal throne. For God has ordered that every high mountain and the everlasting hills be made low, 
and the valleys filled up to make level ground so that Israel may walk safely in the glory of God. The woods and every fragrant tree have shaded Israel at God's command. For God will lead Israel with joy and the light of his glory with the mercy and righteousness that come from him. Um, with the language used here, it seems to me like it is, is Baruch also it like written also in the time uh, of uh, the, uh, the exile um, and, and captured by the Babylonians, perhaps on their preparation for return? No. Okay. It kind of reads that way, though, does it not? It, it is supposed to read that way, but it was probably written about three or 400 years after it. Oh, okay. Isn't that interesting? <clears throat> that is interesting. So tell me more about this book. Uh, Baruch, tell me. Yeah. Baruch is a disputed book of the Bible, and it was, most scholars think it was written around. 100 or 200 years before the birth of Jesus. The Babylonian exile was roughly 500 years before the birth of Jesus. Okay. In, okay, try to think, well, no reason to try to summarize something. (laughs) Just make it long. Um, In, after the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, Mm -hmm. suddenly both Christians and Jews had to figure out how to preserve their scriptures. The path that the Jewish tradition took was to gather their best and the brightest and and decide what was going to be what we now think of as the Hebrew Bible. Mm-hmm. They were a traumatized group. The There was... Absolutely no certainty whatsoever about the survival of the Jewish religion. And so they took a a relatively conservative path and crossed out any book that they feel was almost certainly originally written in Greek. Really? Yeah. Just just because it was written in Greek? Or was that just kind of the dividing line? Because it was too recent. And remember, How dare it, it. <laughs> it? It wasn't that they had Bibles and they were ripping pages out. It was mm-hmm. they had right. co- collections, you know, they had scrolls of various collections of various works. And it was like, okay, what of these scrolls are the essentials? So it wasn't that you could never ever read it again or something. It was just, no, this Baruch is not one of the essentials. Gotcha. What, what's interesting, though is that took place after the Christians had, in a sense, institutionally separated from the Jewish tradition. Mm-hmm. And they didn't talk about this. <laughs> so okay. in the Christian collection of sacred scriptures, Baruch still was there. Hmm. So fast forward to the Reformation. And there's a deep desire by the soon-to-be Protestants to have the most accurate Bible possible. So the earliest Protestant uh, Bible scholars walk down the street to their neighborhood synagogue and say, what you got? Uh, Because they were aware that the Bibles that they were using that were in Latin had been translated from Greek for the New Testament and Hebrew for the Old Testament, not knowing that there was also some Greek in the Old Testament. So when they talked to the rabbis, the rabbis said, oh yeah, we don't have Baruch. The Protestants went home and said, okay, we're not going to have Baruch either. And I don't know how many it is, like 11 other books um, and one psalm. Um, So in Protestant Bibles to this day, what the Christians began to call the Apocrypha are, are not in the Bible. Right. For those of the Roman Catholic tradition, they are. For those in the Eastern Orthodox traditions, which were not part of the Protestant movement at all, yeah, Apocrypha, mm-hmm. though they don't call it that. 
in the Anglican Communion and the Episcopal, which includes the Episcopal Church, we do have them. We're the one that separates them off in their own section. Mm. Roman Catholics and Orthodox, it's just where they had been have been for 2,000 years, roughly. So Baruch in an Eastern Orthodox Bible is at the very end of Jeremiah. Okay. Which, as you said, you know, this sounds like someone coming back from the exile. So it fits in completely with what Jeremiah is talking about at the end of the book of Jeremiah. Um, so that's where Baruch sits in the Eastern Orthodox Bibles. In hmm. most, I, I believe in all the Roman Catholic Bibles, it has Baruch. But it, it's put after Jeremiah in order. It's not just part of Jeremiah. Gotcha. Uh, and in the Anglican Communion, in our great middle way, we have it in the books of the Apocrypha come after the collection of the Hebrew Old Testament mm -hmm. and before the beginning of the New Testament. Hmm. So, and in the Anglican Communion and Episcopal Church, our compromise on whether to include the um, a, the books of the Apocrypha was they are good for learning, but you cannot build doctrine off them. Okay, okay. Which does sound like a compromise. <laughs> it truly was. The... There are doctrines that are built off it in the Orthodox and Roman traditions, and mm. we don't have those. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Um, what do we know about the author of the the uh, the book of Baruch? Not much. Um, again, because it was written hundreds of years after Jeremiah, and the earliest traditions that write anything about the book of Baruch attribute it to um, Jeremiah's secretary. Okay. Um, to, it's one of those things that, yeah, real close to Jeremiah. Yeah, it's not Jeremiah, but it's really close. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> when in fact, it's again, hundreds of years later. Right. Uh, so we really don't know. People have been um, digging through it ancient scrolls trying to find <clears throat> something of trying to see what what are the earliest versions of the Baruchian literature and and it's only five it's only six chapters altogether right and they haven't had a lot of luck yet but there's still a lot of scrolls probably to be found in ancient caves and that sort of thing hmm. uh, and but the in terms of authorship, it, Baruch claims claims himself in the opening verses to be Jeremiah's secretary, and these are his words. But again, that's just historically impossible because of the hundreds of years separate between the two. Interesting. Yeah, it really is fascinating. Huh. Um, and it's not it's not a very long book, is it? Is it? No. It's, it, it's uh, it doesn't go on for too much longer. This is this is the conclusion of in the how Episcopalians listed. This is the conclusion of the book. Okay, so, chapter five, nine verses. It's followed by what we call the letter of Jeremiah. But there are a number of Bible translations that ju that just have that as part of the book of Baruch. Hmm. Okay. Okay. And I believe, yeah, the letter of Jeremiah is only one chapter. So that's what, that's why I say some have Baruch as six chapters long and some have it as five chapters long. Oh, I gotcha. Okay. Um, and, uh, is it, is the whole book as poetic as this sounds, as this, uh, specific verse feels? Yeah, it, it pretty much is. The... Cool. The very beginning has some prose of this is why you should like this book sort of stuff. Uh, <laughs> Which all authors like to say. Yeah. You know. <laughs> you know, I, I was a good friend of Jeremiah. I knew him back when. 
<laughs> and that's followed by um, a couple chapters of prayers, and sure. then the last um, three chapters of poetry. Hmm. Yeah, so it is. It and that's one of the re- one of the things that is clear is that it was it's greek form of poetry it's not that hebrew poetry we've been talking about for years now together um it's very greek and that way to a modern reader feels like oh yeah this is poetry yeah yeah definitely does feel like poetry yeah so that's in that is very interesting um what else? What else about this passage? Well, and one thing just to think about is as Jesus walked around, this is what he would have often heard. Mm. This, because Greek was widely spoken in Jesus's Israel um, mm. or Latin. And either one, this was their poetic style. So to, to, and this really isn't too too much of an exaggeration. So the pop songs of Jesus's time would have sounded like this. Okay. Okay. Even even as most Jewish people probably were greatly resisting that that, that those cultural influences and would have been saying, "Oh, got to stick to the Hebrew poetry." Um, right. These, these were the cadences. These were the. This was the image style that was being sung on the street corners by bebop bands so this is this is literally like the uh this is the church version of beatles or uh elvis yep that's right gotcha okay okay Uh... though though a lot of um religious people rejected it as being too modern so in that way is very, I, so it's I don't know if it was the church version, but it was certainly the, the their version of Elvis or the Beatles of no, we don't want the kids listening to this stuff. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> this horrible I don't care if it rock and like roll. <laughs> yeah, it's horrible rock and roll writing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, but it, uh... it you know other things to notice that you may have is it draws heavily on the influence of the book of Isaiah, um, a little less uh, from the book of Jeremiah, but it's definitely in that tradition of giving comfort to the people at a time of crisis. And the, the poetic image is of the people returning from exile, even though that had long been accomplished. Mm. So in that way, it's sort of like, us today singing folk songs about cowboys, you know, that haven't been around for over a hundred years. Yeah. 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 That it's, it's a time past, but we have associations with it, uh, both positive and negative. And so it's an easy way to communicate, um, truths that transcend both eras. Gotcha. Very, very interesting. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, if you ever have a, a wintry evening that you want to have some fun in a churchy way, read the, the apocryphal books. They are really out there in some ways. It, you're you're not wrong there. There's some yeah. there's some there's some stuff there. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think is also why the Protestants didn't want it. <laughs> yeah, there's some uh, there's some there's some other there's some Jesus stories that are kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, uh, and it, a lot of people say it it definitely feels like transition works into the New Testament. And mm-hmm. historically they they are. They are they were written within the lifetime of Jesus's parents. Right? Yeah, it's still kind of crazy of to me that somewhere that, a little older than that. That's true, but yeah, it's still kind of crazy to me that somewhere uh, uh centuries ago a group of men decided uh that no no no, you don't get this you don't get this Jesus story. You get this one. Or yeah. you don't, you don't get this, you know, uh, exile story. You get this one. Uh, and that's, a, it's a little crazy to me, we, but yeah, only in that well, like, and, we can have a vastly different new Testament or old, old Testament. I shouldn't say vastly, but different. 
Well, when you read what's what's nice about archaeological scriptural research, I mean that literally of digging up old scrolls and things like that, and we find copies of the stuff that did not make it into the New Testament, mm-hmm. it's almost always like, yeah, that's easy to see why that didn't make it. <laughs> There's a reason. <laughs> There's a very good reason. Yes. Good call. <laughs> Right. This was not on the edge. Good on you. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly right. Uh, um, but still. There, yeah. But still. Been, I want to say there. there's at least, a tw- I want to say there are at least 12 um, excerpts, at least, of books, biblical t- style books uh, that would be from Jesus or, or letters from the apostles and things like that, that we now have in hand and so we can see what the competition was and it's again pretty easy to see how that that uh, that's nuts (laughs) (laughs) or that is so redundant with what's in the other gospels and the other gospels say it so much better and seem to be older let's go with the other gospel with the gospels we already have yeah yeah well um Let's uh, let's move on from from uh, the book of Baruch. Like I, like you pointed out, uh, uh, a, it, it is actually a, quite a fun way to spend uh, maybe an evening of reading. Uh, it, I don't think it would take an individual too ter- too terribly long to get all the way through all the books of the Apocrypha. Right, right. It's a number very of short. them are yeah, and a number if, of them are very very short. If you really want to have fun, read the book of Susanna. That yes, I don't want to spoil it, but man, that, no. that's a trip. Yes, uh, I might actually uh, read that tonight. <laughs> that's a that's a, that's a that that is a wild book. I, it is. Uh, well, uh, let's move on. Normally, I would say let's move on to our psalm of the day, but um, today we our psalm, quote unquote, uh, not that we put restrict such restrictions on the psalm is actually from the book of Luke. It's not from the book of Psalms. Uh, so Luke chapter 1, 68 through 79. And before I read this, at, just out of curiosity, um, what, what uh, it, are, is there any reason that would cause uh, the, the psalm reading to not be a psalm? I know that happens a couple of times in the year. Is there any sort of rhyme or reason? <laughs> Other no, than they just like, forgot. They were... <laughs> in yes, that... there is there is a reason, and mm-hmm. that that is what we are having for this week is the song of praise that John the Baptist's father spoke mm-hmm. at John the Baptist's circumcision circumcision slash naming ceremony. Okay. Okay. So Zachariah has not been able to speak since, uh, I forget how long it is. It's a while, um, since before the birth of, um, the baby and mm-hmm. eight days later time for this ceremony. And he agrees with Elizabeth, the mother that through by writing it down on a tablet that the baby's name is John, which is what the angel told him to do. And since now he's obedient, he gets to speak again. People are amazed that he's speaking. And this is what he says. Okay. Very cool. Um, uh, so this is what he says. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he was looked. He has looked favorably upon his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a mighty Savior for his house in for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we would be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Thus he has shown the mercy promised to our ancestors and has remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our ancestor Abraham, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people for, by the forgiveness of their sins, by the tender mercy of our God, 
The dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Um, that's really beautiful. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, so consequen- say- it's, it, consequently, it's often used in worship as a hymn or I, an anthem. That makes sense. That makes yeah. sense to me. But when it's just used that way, unfortunately, people think it's about Jesus when it's actually about John the Baptist. Huh. So Luke was pretty big on John the Baptist, right? He Actually, he was pretty big on hymns because oh, okay. there there's a similar hymn for Jesus after Jesus is born. Uh, the Song of Simeon, as we call mm-hmm. it now. And for Mary, there's the Magnificat. <laughs> Oh, yeah, okay. And, okay. and this sounds like a combination of the two. Mm. So there's there's speculation that these were, in part because they're so beautiful, that these were already in active use in Christian congregations when Luke mm-hmm. included them in the Bible. Gotcha. Okay. Um, now, remind me, is it uh, is it the book of John who does that hard veer away from... Uh, uh, John the Baptist. Who's who's which which one like, of the gospels? Really, is... yeah, yes, John is the one who says John the Baptist wasn't so great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, Luke, yes, Luke he is... existed. I have to give you that. But right, right. <laughs> no one's willing to. You know, there's all the I'm not willing to untie Jesus' sandals stuff in John. Yes, in the gospel. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So that's that's a that, that is a fascinating. Uh, uh, that still rivalry. fascinates me. Yeah, yeah it, it still fascinates me. Well, and I, I, I suppose one would say not really even a rivalry because it's it wasn't that um, wasn't that more pre- protective, preventative uh, by um, by John because he was his one of his bets for uh, uh, how he was approaching writing his gospel was something that the his people wouldn't get in trouble for having wasn't that part of it it could be but it's more it seems more i should put it that way to cuz we can't be absolutely sure it seems more that the writer of the gospel of john was very concerned about the the John the Baptist spiritual communities that continue to exist mm-hmm. as rivals to the newly forming Christian communities. Gotcha. That that the followers of John the Baptist didn't just automatically become Christians, even though that's what John's gospel portrays, but instead they continued to follow John the Baptist's teachings, which were within the tradition of judaism were within the teachings of jesus but they didn't feel a need to become christian Mm. but the gospel of john for whatever reason was not comfortable with that and so tended to come down really hard on that john the baptist had passed his due date and all followers of john the baptist should become followers of jesus Interesting. The other gospels don't seem to care about that at all. The other three, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, uh, well, what makes a uh, what makes a uh, Luke uh, have this uh, have this point of view? Like, how does this fit into Luke's overall um, narrative of his uh, of his gospel? A couple ways. Um, one is the the John the Baptist story very much is is the introduction to the jesus story so there are corresponding events to john the baptist's beginnings that happen in jesus's beginnings and we in we hear the john the baptist beginnings first we hear about his birth and that sort of thing before we hear about the birth of jesus so John the Baptist is the warm-up act for Jesus, even as an infant, within the Gospel of Luke. So that's part of it. The other 
very Luke part of John the Baptist is the be present in the now, to, to use more of an Eastern religion phraseology, that the Gospel of Luke is very much concerned with right now, the kingdom of God is within every one of you, is all around you, and you guys keep blowing it off. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And John the Baptist gets to say that really clearly. And Jesus says it a little more subtly, but John the Baptist right. is the first one to proclaim that message. Gotcha. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, we don't we don't want our you know Lord and Savior to be the <laughs> delivering the hard news. Like, <laughs> let, uh, let, uh, <laughs> let let John be a little bit more forceful. The, the hard news comes at when Jesus is arrested and has the trial. So right, it well, does yeah, come. <laughs> it does indeed. Um, uh, anything else about this, uh, this passage, this, uh, Again, this it's one of the most beautiful pieces anywhere in scripture. And, and you can also find it in the Episcopal book of common prayer. I know it's in the, the morning prayer, office as we call it i think it's also an evening prayer but i'm not absolutely hmm. positive of that so it's it's recommended for daily use yeah definitely now that you've said it definitely does have a hymn style quality to yeah it, so um well let's uh let's move on to our gospel reading then uh, luke chapter 3 verses 1 through 6 in the 15th year of the reign of Imperior, uh, Imperior, Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea and Herod was ruler of Galilee and his brother Philip, ruler of the region of Iturea. Iturea? I did not plan for all the readings of these names and places. Uh, yeah, I'm going to have to warm up uh, on Sunday. I know, right? And uh, Trachonitis and Lysanias, ruler of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah in the wilderness. He went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it was written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Um, the way that this starts out, one would, one would almost imagine that this would be the way you would start your book. It's very like it, historical. It, it's a historical reference. Uh, and it seems right. to me to be done in such a way as to say, like, this is not a fantasy story. Here is exactly not. This isn't a long time ago, you know, in a, in, in a right. faraway kingdom. Uh, this is uh, almost feels as though it's specifically mentioned to say, like, here's the historical context for this real event. And it just trying to set it up uh, that way. Um so it, why is this chapter three? Um, I mean, I know we read from chapter one, which is a beautiful hymn, uh, but any any idea why this is this happens two chapters after the intro? Well, and it, you can argue that actually there's a piece like this in chapter one and chapter two as well. Okay, yeah. That, that Luke establishes by external markers when... John the Baptist was born, when Jesus was born, and now when John the Baptist is starting his public ministry, which will be the transition to Jesus's public ministry. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 a repeating theme through the Gospel of Luke, particularly at the beginning of when did all this stuff happen? Gotcha. So you can you, a person at picking up this gospel in the year 200 could look at any Roman history, which there are plenty of and say, Oh, okay. This is, this is when it happened. Cause there are mm. all these markers here that can easily figure out what year it was. Well, mm. yeah, within five or 10 years. 
Right, but I mean... Which is, which is big deal accurate for that era of history. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, this is this is not the way the other Gospels start, for sure. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, John the, John the Baptist starts with the beginning of all eternity. Mm-hmm. I was like, when was that? <laughs> <laughs> that really is a, a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, in a faraway kingdom. Um, uh, so... Uh, what is the um so i get the the reign of the emperor uh uh, pontius pilate is governor comes into play later herod ruler of galilee comes into play uh later um but it continues to go on his brother philip ruler of the region of Iturea, and trachonitis and uh lysanius ruler of abilene like uh um wasn't um wasn't the couple of references enough why the uh, why all this extra um this extra um additional historical references what are the significance of uh, of these individuals or is it just to be further accurate well part of it is well we you know we can't say for sure but a very good possibility is verse 1 which is all of the Roman officials, mm-hmm. Luke, the author of Luke, wanted to make sure that we were all clear on which Herod this was. I gotcha. Because this Herod replaced his father, who was also named Herod. Okay, yeah. So it's, oh, okay, it was the, it's the Herod who's the brother of Philip, um, etc. Was, was one any better than the other? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> like my uh, first instinct was like, which jerk was this? Uh, was this the well, earlier the jerk or the later jerk? <laughs> yeah, this, they were all jerks. Um, Herod the father was known as Herod the Great because he built so many major architectural buildings, some of which mm. parts of still survive. So. Okay. Was, you know, he wasn't Herod the Great Leader, he was Herod the Great Builder. And gotcha. when he died, the Romans were so unhappy with the job he had done ruling that he they broke up his territory among his sons. And oh. that's why now there's, okay, there is the Herod, but all he's got is Galilee. Um, and then the other brothers got the other portions. Gotcha. So the Romans broke up the broke up Herod the Great's kingdom, which is a mm. you know pretty big insult, but it, yeah. it, again historically is very significant, uh, written down repeatedly. Someone can put a pin in that and say, okay, here's here's where all this is taking place and when all this is taking place. Gotcha. And um, then the next verse too is the priesthood of Annas. And Caiaphas, the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, that gives the Jewish current events when John the Baptist and Jesus began their adult ministries. Okay, okay. So, so he, uh, uh, Luke puts it uh, all together um, uh, as as far as like here's here's the. Here's the Roman uh, historical context. Here's the Jewish historical context uh, as to, to, to who all was in power, what was going on. Right. And uh, uh, kind of covers bases both that way. Um, and, uh, um, and then this is, the, and then this is basically taking um, the um, prophet Isaiah's uh, writing and saying, uh, um, basically, so this is this is that portion. This is the beginning of that portion being fulfilled, right? Mm. Um, and you can we can see how Baruch also built off Isaiah because it sounds very similar to what we heard from Baruch a few minutes ago. Yeah, yeah, definitely does. Um. Trying to think if there's anything else. Um, what do we want to say about that? Well, the the one thing just to keep in mind is that you know this is all taking place roughly thirty years after Christmas. Uh, okay. 
So we sort of have to yeah. let our our imaginations, our our and our intellects shift back and forth as we're getting ready for Christmas. But this particular Sunday is talking about stuff that took place thirty years after Christmas. Mm. Mm-hmm. And kind of explains the meaning of Christmas. Yeah, kind of. Christ, last I checked, Christ is, has a, has a, dips a toe in the water of the meaning of Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Christ story. Sure, why not? Let's, uh, right. <laughs> um, uh, is this a direct, it's done in quotation, uh, in quotations. Is this a direct quote from Isaiah? Uh, one. Yeah. Uh, uh, okay. Um, yeah. And, and every not, once in a while, it's like in the spirit of a maybe right. a quote of Isaiah. One of the Gospels gets it a little off, but this one's pretty accurate. And um, what's interesting is Baruch does not footnote it when he copies it. <laughs> mm. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But no one expected him to. I mean, it was, it was right. a good thing to use as much of other wise people, and particularly prophets, without having to say, I, I am... Gaining this from good old Isaiah. Right. Right. Um, and then, uh, um, yeah, every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill made low, the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways made smooth. Uh, that does sound like a, a nice, beautiful, easy path. Yeah, um, and, and that's the point of it, is it? it's a way of traveling by foot, that everyone would seek out mm-hmm. who had any sense. And so, yeah, it's a huge deal for people to hear that who live in a, a pretty hilly if and at points mountainous area that is, right. for the most part, very dry and pretty warm. And so it, it's difficult. It's a difficult area to travel through. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Well, um, yeah, despite all that, uh, it's uh, it's also a um, it's it's interesting it's interesting uh, that this foreshadows the rest of the Christ story because nowhere nowhere do I really remember it being that smooth of a ride for the for the rest of the <laughs> rest of the story. It's a little um, it's a little rough. There's there's. It's not so smooth. I don't know what Luke's talking about. <laughs> well, it's hanging out with Jesus is a lot smoother than walking in the shadow of the Roman guard. And that's part of the subtext of the four gospels is the the crowds that were following Jesus were even if just for an afternoon walk were escaping the direct supervision of the Romans within the cities. Mm-hmm. And towns, I do, not just cities. I do, I do suppose in your statement, it depends on who you are as to whether or not that statement uh, would yeah. be true. Um, hanging out with Jesus uh, um, for, say, the disciples... You know, not not so easy. Uh, right. Ultimately, uh, became a bit of a, a bit of a thing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, but, but there's there's this dynamic that that gets copied over and over in various cultures, including American culture, even in even in American action movies, of. Mm-hmm. Do you want to live a life of meaning, even if it's shorter, or a life of blandness filled with fear if it means you get to live 10 years longer? Maybe. Gotcha. Right. So, yeah, that there's a reason everyone steals that plot point. It's something that people, it really hits people in the heart. In yeah. A good, you know, in a meaningful way. And I think we've talked about it before, actually, that the um, uh, culturally... Uh, Jewish culture would have had a stronger sense of like 
hey, even if I, you know, even if I die, um, if it's for, you know, perfect, you know, the, this life is, is, you know, nothing, uh, uh, compared to, yeah, you know, a bigger, something that's bigger picture. Yeah. Cause by, by the time Jesus had come along the, for the, the vast majority of devout Jews had a strong belief in heaven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and part of, in the gospel of Luke, one of the things emphasized is yes. And in the, in the person of Jesus, heaven is here. Mm-hmm. So in that way, it was a really good path to walk. And it did feel like it was pretty easy to walk compared to the terrible grind of most um, Jewish folks lives back then. Mm. Well, uh, and speaking of terrible grind, I suppose it's time that we go back to it. Uh, uh, <laughs> Hallelujah! And, and, and sadly, and, uh, this, uh, this beautiful, wonderful podcast, uh, um, and uh, go back to our regular non-podcast lives. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. so sad, so sad. Um, but, uh, but, uh, we want to thank you so much for joining us, uh, uh, today for this, your podcast on December 5th or for December 5th, I should say, uh, 2021, the second Sunday of Advent, Advent in year C. Uh, and, uh, as we said, uh, we look forward to enjoying worship with you either in person or online. Uh, and as always, if you have any questions, feel free to email us at shortcut at hfec.org. And until next week, I'm Ben. And I'm Bruce. And we'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye.